From Philadelphia Young Playwrights, this is Mouthful. I'm Trine Nuri. And I'm Mitchell Bloom. Every week, we'll be having a complicated conversation with a young person about the things that matter to them, things that they've written about and shared on stages across the city. Then we'll go out into the community to talk to teens, adults, experts, anyone who can broaden the conversation. America has a serious problem with gun violence. Sandy Hook, Pulse, Charleston, Vegas, Aurora, Columbine, Parkland, Santa Fe. It's a devastating list that goes on and on. A list that no place or person wants to be a part of. Still, as these events make national headlines, there are other cities across the country like New Orleans, Detroit, St. Louis, Baltimore, Oakland, that are riddled with high rates of gun violence. And we can add Philadelphia to the list because this city is among the leading cities where gun violence has occurred at a rate of one shooting every six hours since 2006. So many American communities, urban, suburban, and rural, continue to mourn lives lost to guns. And this month is Gun Violence Awareness Month. So today we're going to talk to a number of people whose personal stories all have one thing in common, guns. This week's episode is inspired by a monologue written by a senior here at the U School in Philadelphia, Tyler Riddick. Written from the perspective of the city of Philadelphia itself, it's called Restore My Brotherly Love. Let's listen to it now, performed by Jarek Medrano. Yo, we need to talk. No, wait, we don't need to talk. You just need to listen. I'm tired of waking up to death every morning. No one lives forever. Yes, I get that, but no one should lose their life to a gun. Citizens, you are killing each other, and I'm sick and tired of it. You weren't raised this way. Maybe you can bring some clarity to my confusion on these senseless killings. Let's start with a couple questions. Why? Why is it that almost every time you have a disagreement with one another, it ends in gun violence? Every six hours, there's a shooting. And since 2006, more than 14,500 people have been shot in Philadelphia. 2,629 of them died. Your behaviors are depressing me. You act so tough like killing is the only way to solve an issue. You gangster, right? But we all know that. Truth is, if you get shot, you're going to cry out loud and every drop of gangster in your body going to dry out. I expected you to live up to my name. You know, the John I had for as long as I can remember, the city of brotherly love. But you failed me. And I'm sad to call you my people. You always talk about how the cops are killing us, but never fix your mouths to say that we're killing each other. In 2016, four died at the hands of a police officer. This John still doesn't compare to the damage we're doing to each other. You're so quick to scream, fuck the law, but y'all like 5-0. Started for protection, but the problem is, y'all become bishop when you get the juice. You're so quick to come together and speak on blue on black crime. But what about coming together to speak on and make a change about black on black crime? Does shooting another brother give you power? MLK had power, and not once did he pick up a gun to shoot someone. He used his words to stand up for what he believed in, and and that was change and equality. 
He used his voice to squash the beef between whites and blacks. His voice made people from all walks of life come together and stand up for a change. Use your voice to stand for equality and peace among each other. Your voice is greater than the gun. I know that this solution may not be easy and it will take some time, but time is not on your side. You have to stand up now. Open your eyes. I know you're tired of turning on your televisions every day and seeing another shooting victim. You're killing yourselves off. You're killing off the next generation. Do you even care? It seems like you don't. Like you just sit on cloud nine all day without a care in the world. Whatever happens to settling your problems by talking it out, are you too good for that? Does that take too long? Or are you too lazy to do it? It takes one voice to put an end to this. My people, it only takes one person, man or woman, child or adult. You've got to put an end to this. I love you. And I'm declaring a change. I'm declaring for my people to rise up. You gotta do better. Too many of you are losing your lives to this weapon. Take the duct tape off your mouth and speak up. Let's take it back to old times when we believed that words were mightier than the sword, or in this case, mightier than the gun. Tyler, this is a really powerful monologue. Um, can you tell us why you wrote this monologue? At first, there was like a class assignment. So, um, so someone from Philly Young Playwrights came to one of our to one of my classes and introduced um, a monologue project. So, at the time, one of my friends was shot and killed. So, I'm sorry to hear that. Everything just came like at one time. So I just let my feelings and my thoughts out on the paper and this is what I came up with. What was your friend's name? Job. How old was he? 16. Um, are you still grieving him? Yeah. I don't think I'm ever gonna stop, but I just gotta be strong. Um, before we got started today, um, Mitchell was telling me that you organized a basketball tournament in his honor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the basketball tournament was on March 31st. For I did it in March for March Madness. And it was between two community teams and two law enforcement teams to bring gun violence awareness to the neighborhood, but to also bridge the gap between law enforcement and the community. All of the proceeds that were made at the event then went into a scholarship fund for Josh's little brother. Do they know who shot him? I'm not sure. When you see or hear stories about gun violence or when you see like other victims, what comes to mind? At first, like I was just thinking, dang, again? But now it's just, 
Like, I just think a lot, actually, about it. Like, what can I do or what can, like, a group of us do to stop it? Because it's happening more often, and as the summer is approaching, I believe that it's going to happen a lot this summer. You think just, like, what what makes it about summer that, you know, we get amped up or... The weather, the weather change is getting hot. More people are going to come outside. There's going to probably be more altercations between different people. So what, what changes can we do? What changes can we make today so that hopefully that doesn't happen? I guess we just got to find a way to settle our disputes without using a gun. Like maybe talk out our problems or just walk away from a problem if we have that opportunity to do so. If you could talk to a lawmaker or your, you know, your state rep, what would you tell them? We have to get the legal guns off the street first. That's like the biggest problem because people are have access to guns very easily. And if you buy an illegal gun off the street, you don't know, like, say the person that's selling the gun, they don't know who they're giving, a, giving it to. So they could just be giving it to anybody just to make money. So we have to just get those guns off the street first, then worry about making stricter gun laws afterwards. What was it like to see your monologue performed? It was amazing. I almost cried because it took a while for me to like write that, and the revision process was very long. So seeing everything come together made me happy. Did you have any conversations with your did your classmates see it? Did they get a chance to see it? Mm-hmm. Did you have any conversations afterward about about the topic or um, talk to somebody new about it who you hadn't talked to before? I um. My teachers, I talk to my teachers a lot about it. I don't think my classmates really said anything to me about it. What are the conversations like between you and your teachers? What's next? In terms of your writing? Yeah, and um, making a change about gun violence. You have good teachers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Um, What is next? What are you doing after you, you graduate when? On Monday, June 11th. Ooh, ooh. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and then what? I'm going to school for business and film. I'm going to Chestnut Hill, where I got full rod there. Nice. <laughs> so, um, I plan on doing a basketball tournament every year, and I also plan on starting a movement, which is put the guns down and pick your heads up. Um, down the line, for the future, I plan on, well, I'm into film, so I want to open my own film studio, and I want to film music videos for music artists. And I plan on taking that and then mentoring younger kids in that field to get them into doing something positive instead of like running the streets and stuff. That's a good segue to introduce our next guests.
Um, next to Tyler is Leonard Chester. He's a recent Temple grad and the founder of the Overcame Foundation, which supports youth who are facing various hardships to develop their talents and skills as leaders. And then next to Leno is Jose Ferran. He's a peer intervention specialist at Healing Hurt People, which is a hospital-based violence prevention program at Drexel University Center for Nonviolence and Social Justice. And we're also going to bring back Jarek Medrano into the conversation. So Leno, Jose, and Jarek, um, what were your reactions when you heard the monologue and when you read the monologue? My first reactions from reading the monologue was different than listening to it. Um, but they both were impactful. At first glance and reading it, I really was inspired. I would say inspired because I, I know that it wasn't something, you can't just like write about it and not experience the, the, the weight of it. So at me as a reader and as an individual who experienced violence and have friends who have, um, it makes me think about the reality of it. And I'm so, um, about, you know, just like black-on-black crime. Uh, we're, hurting our, we're hurting each other, and um, we don't talk about it. So like, it made me think about, like, there's things that we don't talk about naturally, me growing up in North Philadelphia. And then listening to it, it brought a sense of, um, it, it, it kind of made me envision it. Um, how much this should be performed in a street corner, I really believe um, it would change a heart. <laughs> so that's my, that's my um, take on that. And, and to add to that, it's, this is the reality for uh, across the globe. Um, conversations such as these should, uh, are imperative because um, gun violence in inner city is 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 going on every day <clears throat> and and to me um when i when I heard the young brother performing and read and reading it myself, you know it was very cohesive and and what really made me think was about the resources in inner cities and um the lack of resources that um people of minorities don't have. In their in their areas in their zip codes, and why? Well, there's no real reason why we have gun violence, but you know, my philosophy and my approach with the foundation is that we have to provide resources to people in inner cities so we can we can lesser these type of uh, experiences in inner cities, and that's why we created the foundation. And um, you know, I just give kudos to Tyler you know, for writing this monologue because many of us haven't had the opportunity to. And some of us are scared, so it's very brave of her to speak about something that's so 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 much emotions bottled up. So I just want to say I commend you for writing it. And, yeah, my um my favorite, when I first read the piece, I fell in love with it because it's it's written in the perspective um of Philadelphia, but it's really the voice of inner city, right? It, um, when I first read it, I heard the voice of everyone that's, everyone in the city that's like sick and tired of turning on the TV and just like, man, another one? We're going on your Instagram and seeing somebody else died? That's crazy. 
So what I really loved about this is that it's not only a, a, a Philadelphia thing, it's an inner city thing. It's like it, it impacts everybody, right? Um, I, I, I lost friends to gun violence. You lost friends to gun violence. You've seen people around the neighborhood die because of gun violence. We don't talk about it, but we all know how we feel about it. And I think Tyler did a great job of capturing um, the perspective of everybody in the neighborhood, not only just the people that are affected by it, but even the people that aren't affected by it, the people that are just tired of seeing this every single day and having to, to turn on the television and, and, and see people mourn constantly. So, Jose, can you tell us um, your personal connection to gun violence? My personal connection to gun violence, first things first, it's not, it's not separate from violence in general. So I have many altercations where I should have been shot, and I haven't because I was in a fist fight. And I got shot in the middle of a fist fight in 2011. So that was my first experience personally, like myself, going through it and then even living with it afterwards, like the experience of after being shot. What were the emotions that you were going through when that happened? More of a, more of a shock. More, more was shock. <laughs> I didn't expect it. I think the emotions of living after it happened was more difficult because I had to have the conversation with my friends about are we are following you or <laughs> yeah riding for you and are my words like put me in this situation um, staying with a bullet stuck in my shoulder for a couple weeks because I couldn't get it out the same day was a situation um, not snitching was a situation a whole different set of emotions you know so um, to answer your question short you know who shot you? Yes. So So that was the part of the no snitching? Yeah, yeah. That was a part of it. And also um, the response. What was our, what was our response? It was a retaliation. Um, that was the first. That's all, that was the first primary that we had in mind. But for me, I was in the hospital, so I was in that conversation. But when I came out, it was a different story, so. Can you tell us a little bit about Healing Hurt People and the work that you do with them? Sure. So Healing Hurt People, like as mentioned, is a violence intervention program in the hospital, and it's in different hospitals. Um, for example, in 2011, I went to St. Christopher's Hospitals um, for Children, which is a children's hospital in Philadelphia, and I'm in the ED, and as I'm getting taken care of in the ED, um, yeah, well, as I was taking care of, and this is play a big role. What what I do today is um, I'm getting I don't want to say interrogated, but I'm asked I'm getting asked questions. I'm getting asked a lot of questions: who, what, where, why? Um, do you know the person? Like those type of questions. And I wasn't trying to say nothing because my mindset was like I ain't giving no lead at all. Um, so the work that I do with them now is making sure that that process for the individual when they come into the hospital, um, they're, they 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 feel safe, they get good care, let them know that we exist. Um, and me, me to be a presence in there, just to be a presence, you know, nobody should have police officers waiting outside the door in the, in the, in the emergency department at all. Um, that's not, that's don't feel safe. So that's one thing that I'm 
What's one major thing that I do as a peer specialist at St. Christopher's Hospital? Now, there's trauma that happens um, like after they come out the hospital. So how do you work with um, people when they get out? So a major thing that we do is follow up with them, see how they're doing since. But, you know, we just ask, how have you been? How have you, and there's different reactions. Not everybody experienced the trauma like, not everybody experienced the, tra- the traumatic experiences or the reactions of, so not everybody's going to have nightmares or terror, um, hypervigilance. Um, not everybody's going to have, um, not, it's, not, it's not the same for, for everybody. For me, it was more like I was getting random thoughts out of nowhere. I was getting nervous when I, walked, when I was in the neighborhood because it happened in my neighborhood. So it's not I couldn't, I, was, I couldn't avoid the block. So those random thoughts that came out of nowhere, how do you stay grounded? How do you... Um, cope with those emotions. For me, I bottled up my emotions from 8th grade to 11th grade, and I got shot that 10th grade going to 11th grade. So for me, I didn't share my emotions. So going into Healing Her People allowed me to share my emotions, um, move, put that toxic masculinity to the side a little bit, and allow myself to really um, share how I felt, and eventually I healed, thankfully. Did anybody else want to share a personal connection to gun violence? Well, um, I experienced, well, not personally, like the brother to my right, but, you know, I have family members that have uh, been on both sides of it. I have family members, well, personally, my father was shot before I was born. And um, his story is about that that, uh, story that, you know, he he was shot, you know, running out of a house, and uh, he got shot by a shotgun. And this was before I was born, so thank God for giving him mercy. And um, so he was running out of a house, and um, he got shot by a shotgun, and, you know, he crawled out of the alley. And uh, luckily, two police officers were walking down the street and, you know, got him to an ambulance. And then I also have uh, a cousin um, that's doing life in prison um, through gun violence. Um, you know, he was in a, in a dark place in his life, and um, he, he took someone's life. And... Um, so I've I seen both sides of it through, through my history and my relationship with my community. And, yeah, so that's my piece. How do you start or open the conversation um, with your father and with your cousin about their experiences? Did you ask them or did they kind of just sit you down one day and you guys were talking about it? My cousins is like Leonard or Leno. I gave you the blueprint for everything not to do, you know, and if you follow that format, you'll be in a better place than I am. The one with my father is is a little different. Um, he he experienced being shot and he lived through the, the incident, but it's it's like a touchy subject. So I, I think like like the brother to my right, he, he bottled up the emotions and you know put it behind them. But he he just talks about you know being safe. You know, when I was younger, he he would be very tentative about letting me stay out at night, you know, where I was going, you know, what, what, what clothes I had on, and because he was always nervous about me getting shot or me getting robbed or some, some of anything of that sort. So he's very hesitant and very protective of me because his experience is in inner cities. The students, Leno, the students that you work with, have they experienced gun violence? Yes. Um, so... Um, so I do work uh, at Frederick Douglass at times with with the foundation. And, um, 
this one student, he lives on my block. So I live in this community. I live. I, I, remember, I went to Temple. I just graduated. So one of the students that I see at, often at Frederick Douglass, we live on the same block. So, <clears throat> you know, it was late at night. It was a Sunday night. You know, I'm going grocery shopping, and I see him just up on his stoop. I'm like, Russ, what's going on? You got school in the morning. He like, yo, I can't sleep. So he 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 says, I'm like, what's going on? Russ, I just can't sleep. So I'm like, well, just walk with me. You know, you could just tell he was just yeah, he was holding in the bottle and a lot of emotion. So we're walking and we're talking like, yeah, I have to go to court tomorrow. And I'm like, what are you going to court for? He's like, my friend killed someone, and I have to get on the stand and give a, a personality. Um, what, I don't know what they call it, but he had to talk about testimony, his, yeah, personality yeah. test, yeah. And um, you know, he he's only in the eighth grade, you know, and. And just hearing his emotions and just hearing what his, his story about the, the incident and just the eighth grader being put on the stand because his friend that's in eighth grade probably took a life. And, you know, it's very unfortunate. And what I say when, when I give speeches is, like, being in an inner city where demoralized as human beings, our norm are not normal. So what we experience is definitely not what the experience of reality of many that, that don't live in inner city. And, and Russell just is, is a good case of that because he's in eighth grade. He, he doesn't feel comfortable speaking with anyone. And it's very unfortunate that he had to go through that circumstance. So, you know, it's important for organizations and foundations to have these type of dialogues and also be there for our youth because they are our youth. And we just have to be there for that conversation. Jack, did you want to say something as well? Yeah, uh, to piggyback off of that, um, I've never been been in an experience where I've been shot at. Nothing personal like that, but growing up in North Philly, what's sad, what's sad to me is that personally I've kind of become numb to it. And I know that's not a good thing, but since since I moved to 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 inner city to North Philly, it's kind of like people get shot a lot at on a daily basis. Every other day, you hear the gunshots, you you hear the stories, you hear man, you heard boy we had class with he got shot at. I'm like damn, that's crazy. When you hear gunshots though, does it like shake you it, or? It like, or, or like like you said, are you numb? You're like, oh, oh there it goes. It's, it's a little bit of both. You you get shocked, right? Like you 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 hear it. It's a scary noise, but then it's like the first thing that I think about is like, man, I hope that's not somebody I know. I know it's not. I hope I don't like go down the block to the store and I hear another one of my classmates passed away because somebody got shot, and it was that gunshot that I just heard. That's 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 what's hard about it is that. In, in the inner city, in the hood, people, we've all just become so accustomed to it and so numb that we, we kind of feel hopeless and we kind of feel like there's nobody that can, can help us and there's nothing to do about it. And that's why we're so scared to talk about it. But I feel like talking about it is part of what's going to solve the issue. We have to stop being scared um, of what people are going to think about us. We just have to be real and be like, yo... This is scary. Like, 
there is no reason we should be shooting at each other in the summertime when there's kids playing down the block. I get it, you're mad, but we can just talk about it. There's no, there's, everyone, everyone is tired about it. Everyone, you can feel it in the hood. Like, you can feel people are like, we don't want to do this no more. And it's because we can't really stand up to, to them and be like, yo, can you stop doing this? Let's be real, right? It's, it's a scary thing, but I think we just got to, we all as a community, we have to stand together and, and speak up about it and not be scared to tell people, stop using guns. Yeah, please do. And also in inner city um, or across the globe, in, in the media, the, me- the media portrays a perception of uh, in glorifying the gun violence. Um, you-, you see it in a lot of movies. You see it in, in the-, the-, the Instagram. I know I see it a lot on Instagram, uh, like the glorifying the-, the bad block. I know in my neighborhood, when I was younger, when I was 16, like, you know, I used to rep my neighborhood to the fullest, you know, 60th Street. And um, we would, we would um, fight against different neighborhoods. No guns or anything. We were young. But we would, we would glorify fighting or, you know, beating up someone in, you know, in our, in our neighborhood. You know, we, we, you know, I'm from 60th Street. We, we would beef with 60th Street. And also we would beef with the north side of 60th Street. And it was just, you know, we, we grew accustomed to, like, really repping our neighborhood, neighborhood. And that's why I really enjoyed a Jay-Z's new album, the 444, was just like, uh, don't die over the neighborhood that your mama's renting, you know, because we, we, we glorify and the media. and we, we consume so much of the media. And the algorithm on social media is ridiculous because we... Uh, that's a conversation for another thing, but we really glorify things that we shouldn't glorify. Like reading books is more. It, if we if we glorify reading books and giving people resources in inner city, you know, my philosophy is that the world would be such a better place. And one thing that we do have on our side that we do have some great state reps <clears throat> um, in this area. We have like Don, Donna Bullock in West Philadelphia. We have Joanna McClinton that people are really advocating for different resources for. for <clears throat> for communities of color in Harrisburg. So that's a start. We're having more diversity and more inclusive conversations in Harrisburg. Also with us, I'm appointing Malcolm Kenyatta in this district will also help us as well. So we have people of our color that understand our cries that will take this conversation to the next level. Anybody else want to add anything? In, the, in that same vein, I would add, too, that there's great things in addition to, like, happening that within, like, I mean, um, for example, um, this, our, the Center for Nonviolence and Social Justice, this is our second year doing a training academy um, where we, um, um, host, um, we, we host space for young males of color ages 18 to 30 who have lived experience of violence or mental health or just a substance, you know, have lived experience um, to be individuals who work with people in the community who experience community violence. So they're called community health, community health worker peers. And these individuals are young men who go in the community and they host community ciphers. And if you know anything about a cipher, that's where you talk about all your problems around a blunt and around getting high. And so, but they're actually in the communities talking about interrate um, violence, like rape, violence in general, but like trauma and how, um, how people of color experience a lot of oppression and how we even deal with that oppression. So I'd like to even add on to that, that we have um, a lot of resources that's within people that um, 
the city is tapping into and us as a program, we're realizing that we should tap into. There's a um, Save Our Youth initiative. They walk in the streets sometimes and, and host stuff. Like they um, do like protests, not protests, but like walk rallies, just raise awareness around gun, gun violence. So there's um, so much of it happening scatteredly, but I really believe eventually it's going to be more unified and we're going to have a greater impact. The movement will come. Thank you so much, Jose, um, to Leno, Jarek, and Tyler for the conversations for this episode. Thank you also to the U School for hosting us um, and to Steel Empire for helping us out with sound for this event. And I'm going to do my closing. From all of us at Mouthful, thank you so much for the great conversations this season. I'm Trinanery. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Okay, well, here we are in the PYP offices, and I'm not going to pretend like it's quiet, because here we are at the end of season two. We heard from 38 different people this season across 10 episodes, including two live shows, just like this one. If this is your first time listening, you can listen to all of them, along with the entirety of season one, that's 21 total episodes, at our website mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. We have a couple really cool collaborations in the works, so keep your ears out for some really exciting announcements in the future. Finally, we're releasing this episode a little bit early to invite our listeners to stand on the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art this Monday, June 11th at 1 p.m. It's the third annual Fill the Steps event to stand in solidarity with other Philadelphians against the epidemic of gun violence. I hope that Tyler's story, her monologue, Jose's story, Leno's story, Jarek's story might move you to join this event. We'll share all of the information on our Facebook and on our Twitter. Um, that's at Mouthful Philly. On behalf of Philadelphia Young Playwrights, Lisa, Trené, and myself, thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll stay tuned for season three. Mouthful is produced by Lisa Nelson-Haynes, Trené Nuri, and Mitchell Bloom, that's me, for Philadelphia Young Playwrights. PYP is an arts education nonprofit that taps the potential of youth and inspires learning through playwriting. Original music for Mouthful was created by Ill Dutes. To join the Ill movement, head on over to illdutes.com. That's I-L-L-D-O-O-T-S dot com. For episode extras and more information, visit mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. That's mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mouthful is edited by yours truly.